0: morning. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 40. <clears throat> this morning, uh, my my title of my message, and I don't usually come up with creative things because I'm not that creative of a person, but um, it's don't be a turkey or a chicken or a goat. <laughs> okay, um, I've never owned a turkey, at least a live one. Uh, I have owned a few that weren't weren't coming back from their present condition. Um, But I have owned chickens. I presently own chickens. I'm really thankful for my chickens. I could go through each of their names. There's 10 of them. I didn't name them because you don't name chickens for obvious reasons. But my kids will understand that in time. Uh, But uh, I have owned chickens and I have owned goats. And it's interesting. In the morning, we try to lock our chickens up so they don't become a snack for somebody else. Um, in the nighttime and so we put them in their little uh, hen house and uh, they're, they have a little door that comes down and sometimes when we forget that uh, they're locked up we hear about it uh, they're taught they're gossiping actually about me as they're in that hen house no roosters just hens anyways uh, no point to be made there but Take it. Take it. As it Anyways, they're gossiping and squawking and just going, ah, you know, complaining about the poor treatment they're getting in the hen house. And so finally, we come out there and we open it up and they say a few things as they walk down the ramp in, into the chicken run area. I also have had goats. Uh, goats are very similar. They make a different noise. But. Uh, You know, I was in charge of feeding the goats and watering the goats and all that other stuff. And from time to time as a young man, I'd forget to do that. And... They'd let you know. In fact, uh, you know, there would be times where we'd be out uh, as a family and we'd get home late and we didn't feed them. And they'd be pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth at the fence going, hey, did, did you forget somebody? Somebody forgot to feed us. And they'd go back and forth. In fact, uh, you know, as they'd go back and forth, sometimes they'd bump into each other and then they'd start fighting. And it was this big tension uh, among the goats. Why haven't we been taken care of? Why didn't we get what we wanted when we wanted it? Uh, and then ultimately, as you'd feed them, uh, they'd become these just beautiful animals that were just friendly and they, they liked you and they weren't fighting anymore. They were just eating and uh, sleeping and just having a great time. This morning, uh, as we look uh, to a time of Thanksgiving, I I wanted to encourage you that that's what animals do. I know some of you have, have said they're just like people and one of the family. And I don't, I'm not going to argue with you this morning. But um, for, animals, for animals, when they get what they want, everything's great. And they can't see past that. That's all they see is it's good when we get what we want. It's bad when we don't get what we want. That's the that's simplicity of an animal. And for us, I believe God's called us to something higher and he's made us for something greater. Um, And I'd like to read to you Psalm chapter 40. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read you this great Psalm. Verse one says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of a miry bog and set my feet upon the rock and making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in in the scroll of the book it is written of me i delight in to do your will o oh my god your law is within my heart i have told the glad news of deliverance in great, in the great congregation behold i have not restrained my lips as you know o oh lord i have not hidden your deliverance within my heart i have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation i have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will preserve will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because their shame who say, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And may those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. God, we ask your blessing on our time as we sit before your word. Ask that you give us an open heart that begins to understand the wealth And riches that are found in you and you alone. God, I pray, especially for those who are struggling here this morning, that they might be encouraged to see clearly the abundance that we have in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So we come to the Psalms, and uh, if you're ever wondering what the Psalms are all about, first of all, they are songs, and if we would have known the tune, we could have sung this this morning. Uh, I think it's interesting, music is interesting, because even if you're not a musician, even if you don't uh, particularly uh, have a voice that you feel like is one for solos or American Idol, uh, you can hear songs. And as they speak words, you'll replay them in your mind and your heart. Uh, one of our goals is, first of all, to have songs that have great words, great words that speak of God. And that as we worship together, uh, that will kind of go out in the afternoon in your hearts and in your minds. And as you go about your week, maybe you'll be reminded of who God is uh, through the songs that we sing This particular uh, psalm or song uh, has been attributed to David, King David, and we don't really know much more than that. In fact, that's an assumption passed down for generations, not inspired. But we assume this to be from King David, and so we'll use a little bit of that as a backdrop of understanding uh, of what this great psalm is about. It starts out I waited patiently for the Lord. When you hear that word patiently, maybe that doesn't resonate with your heart. You say, I didn't wait patiently. In fact, I was frustrated that the Lord didn't come through. I I waited on him, uh, but he took too long. Um, The idea here in the Hebrew is the idea of as we're waiting, I waited. Um, It's the double waiting. You understand about double waiting? You're waiting and you're saying god i'm I'm waiting for you, and then you kind of look at your watch and you say, "Well, okay, okay, still waiting uh i, I picture someone at a bus stop i I used to uh, ride the bus to school uh city bus uh, in Santa Barbara. I used to catch it in front of my elementary school to head off to my junior high and You can imagine waiting for a bus, Uh, you know, a schedule, you know about what time they're going to show up and you stand there and you go up, okay, I'm waiting for the bus because they're my ride. I know they're supposed to be here right about this time. So you're looking down the road and you're saying, he's coming, he's coming. I know, I know the bus driver's coming and you wait and you wait and you wait. How long would you wait? Uh, how long would you say, well, he's supposed to come, I'll wait 15 minutes. If it's for school, probably not very long, right? You'd give up pretty quick and say, good day, the bus didn't come. The bus didn't come today. It's more than a two-hour delay. We like two-hour delays at our house. You, you think about that and you think, you, that's the way much of life feels like, right? Waiting. You, you're in the midst of a trial you're in the midst of some pain that just seems excruciating. And you say, oh, can't last forever. can't last forever. It's about ready to be done. I'm about ready to be done, God. Do, do you hear me? I, I, I've had enough. I'll learn that lesson. Whatever that lesson is, you, you've taught it. I, I've learned it. Can we move on now? The psalmist writes that he was waiting, that he was in expectation of the Lord. And it says this, he inclined to me, uh, he heard my cry. It's the idea that he listened to me. He listened to me. It's not the idea of him listening and taking orders. God doesn't take your orders. I don't know if you've noticed that. That he is not... uh, waiting on your beck and call as someone who's making you a hamburger and you say, this is the way I want it. This is the way I want it. But it's the idea of God Almighty reaching down and inclining his ear and caring about you and about me. He inclined his ear. This first section here, it talks about what he has done. In verse 2, so he inclined his ear, he heard my cry, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. It's the idea of the slimy mud pit. That's where he rescued you from. And maybe some of you can relate to that this morning. You you talk, you think, and you remember back to the dark places that you have been. And the places that you, you know, some of us slip in there, but some of us dive in there, Right? It wasn't the idea that, oh, whoops, I don't know how I got here. I I ran after it and I dove in. And the, the crazy thing about sin is that once we are involved in it, once we're in that pit and that slimy bog, it's not like you just say, I'm done with this, I'm going to walk out. So you need rescuing, right? That's a word that we like to use around here, rescuing. And that's what the Lord does. That's what He does as we cry out to Him. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And then it says this, And he also set my feet upon a rock. From this slippery, dirty, slimy place, he brings us to a place of safety set upon a rock, making my steps secure. Verse 3 says, he put a new song in my mouth. I I was thinking about our singing this morning and the the songs that we are participating in. In fact, I was thinking to a passage uh, that Peter wrote where it talks about singing and really the angels longing. And uh, so many different things flow through my mind. But do you realize that singing in church is a weird thing? It is. It's a very weird thing. Uh, we don't go to school and we're starting a math class and we're going to say, hey, we're, we're gonna, I'll stand, I'll stand. We're going to sing about the greatness of math. You know, other than multiplication rock, I don't know too many uh, songs written about math. And, and there's not a sense of joining our hearts. I, I know we have at least one math teacher here this morning and it's just weird to be a math teacher, to enjoy that. Um, sorry, Ken. Uh, but... But the idea that we gather around, we have something to sing about. And in fact, when our heart is low, when when we're uh, just crushed, there's not this sense of joy that would come out in a song. And yet in verse 3, it says that this is what God did. This is as the psalmist writes and he reflects on who his God was, his, his faithful God of the past He says this in verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see in these first three verses that God did something in the life of the writer. He had reason to give thanks. In fact, that's the picture of what thanksgiving is all about, right? You reflect backwards and you say, what do I have to be thankful for? And as the psalmist considered God, he remembered where he was. He remembered waiting at the bus, you know, going, hope God shows up. Because if he doesn't show I waited and I waited and I waited. I waited. The idea, it was a long time I waited. But it says that he was the one who rescued me, he pulled me out of that dark, slimy pit. He pulled me out of that place I could not get out of. He set my feet on a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. This is what God does. This is why he is worthy of praise in Psalm 40. Verse 3 also uh, turns to really the implications or uh, what happens after God works. In verse 3, I read it already. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You know about testimony. When you hear great things that God has done in someone's life, You go that draws you in. And it's the idea of going, wow, there is a God. I see Him at work in this person's life, and I want that to happen to me, and it draws us in. You see that in verse 3. In first, verse 4, he acknowledges that... Uh, it's good. It, it's a blessing. It's, it's how man ha- receives riches to put his trust in the Lord. Because he is the one who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after the lie. It is good to be with God. In verse 5 he says this, You have multiplied, O Lord, uh, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. You know what? The God of the Bible, if you have a relationship with him, your God, your God. There's none like him. There's none like him. I love that picture because there's other gods, right? There's other things you can worship. You can worship money, you can worship music, you can worship your career, your possessions, you can worship your family, you can uh, worship your own pride and and, and these other things that you've accomplished. But I want to tell you, as the psalmist said, there's none, there's none like our God, none worthy of worship. The psalmist knew this by personal uh, testimony. God had brought him out. We assume this to be David. David was not talking about a God who did, he did not know. In verses 6 through 8, he talks about the word uh, being both a scroll and, and the idea that he would obey. He would obey. Why, why would he obey? Um, because when he waited, he realized that God came through and he realized him to be trustworthy or faithful. So as we look at verses 9 and 10, it concludes this first section of what God has already done. He says, I've told of the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The picture is this, and this isn't what we're talking about. I don't want to make anyone feel uh, embarrassed or uh, weird or anything about that, but as we began our time together in our service here, I asked, is anyone thankful of anything? And and there's a sense in which, as, as David, if he would be sitting here right now, he would have jumped up from his seat and he said, I got something to say. In fact, it's going to take a while. And I got things to say and I got points to talk about. And because my God is great, I will not put my hand over my mouth. I will not listen to that inner voice saying, Well, maybe somebody else should do it. I got something to say and they need to hear it. They need to hear it. And so as he writes the psalm, he screams of his deliverance. He screams of his rescuer, his salvation, the God of the Bible. He says, He is great, and I want you to know. I want you to know what he has done for me. He uses some words in there that I want to highlight because we're going to get back to them real really momentarily. Uh, your deliverance. Your deliverance. He says, I have spoken of your faithfulness, your salvation. Verse 10 again, your steadfast love, your faithfulness. Those words talk about God, who he is to you. Uh, You know, when you're in a dark spot um, and you're trying to get out of it, you kind of grab for anything, right? Right. You kind of grab for anything. There's a sense in which you're open to anything because you feel yourself slipping away. And you're like, ah, anything will work. And you're looking around for any kind of branch that will pull you up out of there. And from time to time, we devise plans and strategies. And this is why I'm going to get out. And you slip back down again. There's other things you say, well, maybe this branch will work if it, it breaks. And there's a sense in which you're grabbing at things. And it. The psalmist says, "I have one deliverer. I have one deliverer. He is the God I'm speaking of, God of the Old Testament, the God of uh, Jacob, the God of Kevin. I'm not written here and here, but I'm just saying that." He says, "I got something to say that deliverance comes from the Lord." One of my favorite uh, themes of the Book of Psalms is. In the middle of verse 10, your steadfast love, your steadfast love. I've said this before. I've maybe said it to you uh, if I visited you in the hospital. Many times I share this. The idea, idea of steadfast love is the love that never stops. It's promised love, the love of God that is overwhelming. Now, this is how trials go. Um, I'm, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. Um, trials start. You get sick. Your kids are giving you fits. You're struggling with sin. Something's going on that's a trial to you. And you go, oh, I need to walk with God on this. I, I need to. Okay, I can do it. I can do it. I'm going to walk with God. And so you make it through a day. And in your mind, you say, well, this trial will last maybe five days. Five days. And you go, man, this is going to be hard. Whew you get to the end of those 5 days and you wake up and you're like okay all right hey god that's still with me and and in your mind it uh the trial should last about this long and it goes a day past and then it might double in time and your your uh your tolerance was right about here right and it's Going farther than that and you go, I, I don't I can't do this anymore. That that's a feeling, isn't it? That I can't do this anymore. And, and sometimes we think that we have to inform God, right? I can't do this. Don't you understand? Don't you see me here? I can't do this anymore. Everyone feels that way. Everyone is that way, by the way. They can't handle what life has for them. It's too hard to live in a sinful world like we're living. Being a sinful person, living in a sinful world, recipe for disaster. Our strength runs out, and yet what does it say of his love? His steadfast love. Doesn't run out, doesn't fall apart, doesn't, isn't unuseful anymore. If, if the trial goes this far, his steadfast love goes this far. It is more than your problems can handle. We look at his steadfast love, and then it says a couple of times in here, your faithfulness, your faithfulness. That he does not abandon. He doesn't look at your life and he goes, you know what, you've been too much trouble for me already. I'm tired of you. Some of us have tested that, haven't we? We've been problems for the Lord. And yet he doesn't look at our problems and say, you're too much for me. He says, I'm faithful to you. I will not leave you. Will not leave you. And so what was this thing that David had to talk about in the congregation when he was before the people? It's interesting when you're a king. I've never been a king. But you can imagine when you're a king, you think you have to have it all together, right? I'm strong. You should follow me. I'm the great leader of the country and everything else. I'm a conqueror. You should follow me. I want to talk to you about how strong I am. And yet he says, I I, I was not strong. Let me tell you, I have a deliverer. I have one who has saved me. I have one who is faithful to me. I must speak of it. As we move on, uh, this first section kind of closes, and he turns towards the future. And I want to tell you, that's kind of what Thanksgiving is all about as well. As you look to the past, you see God have taken, has taken care of you. It may have been through difficult times. It may have been just enough, and you go, that was a close one. I almost didn't make it through that day, and I didn't think you were going to come through, God, but You did. His faithfulness in the past reflects and can be projected on the future as well. And this is what David does as we turn and look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Do you see the, the change? It will. It will happen in the future. The same things that got me through his love, his his faithfulness, that steadfastness that provided for me in the past. God will not change in the future and it will be what delivers me. It will be that which I need in the future. The idea of preservation. You you look down at verse 13. 12 and this is where most of us are living okay for evils have encompassed me beyond number what are the problems in your life beyond number right the the things that come and end up on your desk from outside the problems that just keep coming and coming and coming like the waves of the sea sometimes they're overwhelming and you say that's what david was saying it's interesting sometimes uh they're real they're real and sometimes they're just in our minds. What I mean by that is uh, have you ever said, Oh, I'm so stressed out right now, oh just things are going so terrible. Oh I just I just can't handle what's going on and someone says, Really? What's wrong? We ran out of milk and I just can't handle another thing. It's okay. Country stores open. We'll get you another milk. It's going to be all right. Sometimes we look at the issues in our life and we think they're this mountain. And, and that's just our heart crumbling under the pressure of this life. It's real. That pressure's real. But sometimes our problems are blown out of proportion. I don't know if this is true, which side, but this happened to David all the time. If you read through the Psalms, you realize that sometimes things were awful and sometimes things were just awful in his mind. In verse 12 it says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. You know, when you look to the life of David, you can see that he was not uh, a sinless man. He was a sinful man, right? And his own sins at times in his life had overtaken him. It wasn't just the pressures from the outside. It was the pressures of his own sinful heart that overtaken him. And were crushing to him and crippling for what the tasks of the day were. There was evil around him. There was evil in him. And once again he says this. Been overtaken. uh, End of verse 12. They are more than the hairs of my head. Okay? Not the hairs of my head, but the hairs of David's head. Okay? I picture him to have a lot of hair. And he wasn't saying, Yeah, there's just a few problems that I got going on here, a few sins, but he was thinking of his big, bushy hair and he was going, More than the hairs on my head. The sinful problems that I struggle with. And then he says this, and maybe you feel this way this morning. Verse 12, my heart fails me. My heart fails me. I am out of gas. I'm out of gas. I'm, I, you know, it's just going to clunk, clunk, clunk. As much as you try, you say, I'm out of energy. I have no ability, no ability to fight this. This is King David. I think through his life and the things that he struggled with. He struggled with rejection. Maybe that's you this morning. He struggled through the hatred of a mentor in Saul. Saul hated him and was threatened by him. Tried to kill him. He pursued him with troops. and Day in and day out. And He, he was scared and fearful. Would Saul catch up to him that day? Would it, today be the day? He struggled with that. He struggled with the sin of, of his own heart. His his own falling to his own lusts and chasing after things that were not becoming of someone who trusted in God. Someone who was a leader. He was a failure. These things dogged his feet. We also know that he struggled with the death of a child. Death of a child that must have burdened him every day. As he thought of that little child and it was gone and the heartache and the grief that that would have come from that. And and he's saying, it's too much for me. My heart fails. As I think about this. He struggled with his own family, the raising of his children. He had uh, at least one son that caused him grief, the rebellion of his own heart and became his own enemy. And then once again, there were those daily things that were enlarged in his own mind that uh, made him fear. Sounds a lot like me and you, doesn't it? In verse thirteen, he says something that I think is interesting because it reminds of me of myself. He says, "Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me." That's a fancy way for saying, "Could you hurry?" I, I'm, could you hurry up please yeah, Are we ready to go because I, I I'm 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 running out of gas I'm out of gas here I can't do anything I, I'm tired of it I I need you to hurry This morning uh um there's also a perspective as we look at verse 14 that these enemies that were in the midst of who he was he says this: Let they be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back who brought dishonor, who delight in my hurt. David's life was: uh, he had enemies. He had people who laughed when he fell, who, who loved it when he tripped and, and was hurt. And not just that, who wanted him to be uh, snuffed out and he calls on God and he says God could could you shame them in doing this as you bless could you shame them and then he bottom lines it maybe for you this morning um i, I want I, I want us to see this as we as we look at, look at verse 16 but but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you may those who love your salvation say continually Great is the Lord. You know, that's the point of thanksgiving. It it says that God has been great to me. That this isn't about how great I am. This is about how great he is. Great is the Lord. Let me give you four things that are found in verse 17 that really tie up this passage. Verse 17 says this, As for me, I am poor and needy. As for me, I am poor and needy. In your mind right now, I want you to ask the question, is that you? Is that you? Are you poor and needy? You say, oh, well, I'm not poor. I'm not poor. You know, I. you're going through your investments right now and the things that you have. And you talk about the storeroom of the things. I'm in a good spot. I'm not poor. And I'm definitely not the, the term needy, you know. Uh, you, so that doesn't define you, right? You're not poor and needy. This is King David, okay? Pretty sure he had more resources than you did. Pretty sure he wasn't talking about gold and silver. He wasn't talking about the roof on his house. He wasn't talking about the food on his table. He was talking about himself, his life. And if King David and anybody else higher than us would say, I am poor and needy, We too should acknowledge our place before God. We've got nothing. We've got nothing. We are poor and needy. As we move on from there, um, there, there's a, a startling truth that should make all the difference. But the Lord takes thought of me. But the Lord takes thought of me. I am poor and needy. Remember, we started off this was he inclined to me. He heard my cry. The the one overwhelming fact for someone who is poor and needy is that you are singled out as something special. That's what God does for us. You're poor and needy. I acknowledge that and I acknowledge that for myself. But the Lord thinks about you. He cares about you. He considers the life that you're living. You're not alone. You're not alone. He has not forgotten you. So uh, we're poor and needy, yet he thinks about us. Middle of verse 17, he says this, You are my help and my deliverer. What's the fix for the problems, the trials that you're in right now? What What's the thing that's going to get you through the day? It's not your smarts. It's not your bank account. It's not your great upbringing and your position in life and your experience. It's not that. It's that you need what God is. your one helper. your one deliverer. King David knew that. Certainly we should as well. He said this already, um, but I think it appropriate as he ends. He says, uh, do not delay. Oh, my God. Could you hurry up? Could you hurry up? I'm tired. I'm tired. Could you hurry? This morning, I just want to tell you in close and just say this. And don't be a turkey or a chicken or a goat. Be one who acknowledge in the midst of the trials of life that you have one God who loves you. He's got steadfast love. He's faithful to you. He will walk with you through all the trials of life. Let's pray. And God, thank you so much for this morning. It's great to be with your people. God, I do pray that you would especially encourage the hearts of those who are weary this morning. God, it's a time in our country where we give thanks. Some of us do it without... uh, Connection to anything that's important. We just say we're thankful, but forget that you are the one who blesses. God, I pray that we would have the heart of the psalmist as he wrote, as he considered uh, the places he's been, the, the rescue that you had brought to his life, the, the place that you had placed him, how you've ministered to him. And as he looks in the past, may we look in the past and see that as well. And then as we look to the future, God, may you give us courage, not in ourselves, but in the fact that you are our God. And that may we wait patiently and expectantly on your deliverance of us. God, thank you for this morning. Give us strength for the day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.